Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod brought to you by Asahi Super Dry, official beer of Rugby World Cup 2023. I'm Andy Rowe and Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking back on the final round of action in the Summer Nations Series, picking the bones out of a record defeat for New Zealand as well as a proud and historic day for Fiji at Twickenham and a dark one for England fans. Plus we'll be chatting to legendary All Black scrum half Aaron Smith. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Jim, your Instagram's looking packed from the weekend of testosterone yes i've been out on the bikes in the mountains and shitting myself if i'm honest that doesn't show itself on social media but yeah i've been up in the mountains avi more big shout out to harley davidson uk and ireland but also edinburgh so i went up there a bit of r and r that's how i like to talk about it so i've been up in the mountains for i say the mountains it isn't quite the highlands it's like the gateway to the highlands but I've had a cracking weekend. Yeah, we we had to cut it short by a day, though, because the kids were not wanting to be there. They were just pissing and moaning. So we uh, packed up early, and Beck drove the kids home, and then I followed and didn't speak to them for two days. So, <laughs> But apart from that, apart from that, it was very enjoyable. It's a really interesting community, the motorbike community. And look, I'm not a motorcyclist, right? I'm not. I'm a casual, fair-weather rider who loves the brand as opposed to driving like a madman not that all motorcyclists drive like madmen or women on the roads but there's such an interesting community one in which it's i find a connection with i think there's a, a big kind of ex-military connection people from all walks of life different lives obviously tattoos and all these things that i'm into as well so absolutely loved it so again big shout out to harley they sorted out the bikes they sorted out everything love music rock and roll and the road anyone can be in that club anyone can join you can join at any point and it's one of them things good i don't know if you've ever been on a motorbike you've obviously been on a push bike andy Rowe, have you been on a motorbike before i grew up on a farm jim well they're, they're tractors andy Rowe. like you don't associate <laughs> tractors and motorbikes <laughs> what? so is that a yes or a no have you i've ridden a couple of motorbikes okay yeah. so you've been on the scramblers where it's safe and <laughs> You're dotting about. Well, it's very different. It's one of them things where, where your mind's like mine, it's going 100 miles an hour. Actually being on a bike and the concentration that you need and being present and all these different things, it's actually very cathartic, I find. So I don't know if you found that on a tractor, Andy Rowe. Oh, very similar. Very similar. Just no tattoos. Yeah. Machinery, heavy machinery. But yeah, that's why. So Andy Good, Andy Rowe, producer Rob will get you in the sidecar when we're in France. If you're keen, I can organise getting us some bikes. Andy Rowe. We need to ask about you before we talk about how busy we're going to be and the live show next week and the energy building towards the World Cup. Just a quick one line. I mean, I, genuinely, I'm interested as long as it's under 30 seconds of how your weekend was. I, I spent the weekend in Malta and half of that weekend was spent in the airport trying to get back into the UK because Russian spies. That's enough. You're moaning straight away. You're bringing the energy down straight away. <laughs> but it did give me time to have a look at the new rugby pass platform. Have you guys seen that? Yes. 
Andy Rowe. I've jumped straight on that, yes, because I'm a part of that. So Rugby Pass TV, we've launched a new streaming platform. We kind of had it before, and Goody knows because he's been across Rugby Pass for years. I've obviously been working for them for years. There was a load of stuff that happened in the background, acquisitions in New Zealand to buy Rugby Pass, and then World Rugby's brought it into the World Rugby family. And then part of the vision has been around this OTT platform, a central hub for rugby bring in one place for rugby. The idea is if you if you haven't got the rights in your country, you can stream it effectively in the dark markets that where they're not owned by, like for example, the UK is owned by ITV for the World Cup. So you're not going to be able to watch the World Cup on Rugby Pass TV. But if you're somewhere where the dark markets are and it doesn't show it, you'll be able to watch it. But where we come into it, I suppose, is around the content. It's a centralized content platform. We're trying to change the game, whatever that is. We know the need to grow. I speak about it all the time. And I'm absolutely pumped for it. So it kind of starts now, really. We've got to start populating it with innovative content, media, and we've got to ultimately take risks in that space if we want the game to grow. And there's loads of archives in there as well. So, Goody, you could go back and have a look at that Fiji and offloading from the weekend, mate. Are we starting with England, Fiji? Are we starting there? Because it wasn't the best game of the weekend. The best game was certainly either the Springboks absolutely pulling the All Blacks pants down or... France pulling Eddie Jones and Australia's pants down. But let's go, let's, let's talk Fiji. We know they've got their offloading game and it was ridiculous at times. And their power runners, Semi Randrandra, looked like he was playing against a school team at times when he's getting the ball. But their game management and their set piece, which has been something that Fiji and rugby has probably lacked in previous years, looked in tip top shape. And the whole game. They looked in control. And we should make this more about Fiji being outstanding. And Andrew, look at you. You're doing the Steve Borthwick thing here. So no one wants to dig into England now. It's so weird oh, how it's changed. Do you want me to? Do you want me to? You can do, but I love that. It's, this is all about Fiji. This is like, as in Steve Borthwick after. And again, we can maybe get into that. But yeah, it is all about Fiji. I am being a, a, a bit of a a joker when I kind of flip it because we do want to try and keep it positive but I do love how your first line is is positivity let's keep it all about Fiji do you not want to talk about the social media posts do you not want to talk about Marcus Smith's post where he's on his haunches after it's all about him even though it's about Courtney Laws's 100th cap and it's all about Fiji and the one picture on his social media is him down on his haunches I love Marcus Smith I love social media and content but it's all it's just all warped at the minute Look at me. I'm being negative. I'll just say it. I'll just say it. I told you so. I told you so. I've been banging on about how dull England have been under Steve Borthwick. And credit to the Fijians. And I saw Namani Nondolo's post saying he's fed up of seeing the doom and gloom around England. How about giving Fiji a G up? So basically, Nemzi was messaging me. And Fiji, you're amazing. And that's a respectful thing, right? They've beaten England for the first time ever at Twickenham. So you, you start with the positives around Fijian rugby, such a big thing for them. You know, it's the first time England have ever lost to a tier two nation. But yeah, if we're going into the depths of England, woeful. But I sang it last week, so I don't know whether to sing it again that things can only get better, but they certainly got a lot worse. And and there's so many underlying issues with it. There's you mentioned the social media posts, Ellis Genge and Joe Marler coming at people. Part of me kind of likes that because it shows we actually have got a set of bollocks, but we just haven't got them on the field at the minute. I'm watching the game. We're losing to Fiji. Let's rewind it. We started really well. So let's start with a few positives. The shape for the first 10 minutes. You've got Manu barging over the gain line. 
Lawrence was going well. We played at pace. Our rock speed was good. There was width and shape in attack for 10 minutes. And then the rain came. And I said it on social media. It was woeful. Absolutely woeful. There's no energy, no desire. Yes, it's a warm-up game. You're playing Fiji at Twickenham with a half-empty stadium. And you're not getting up for the game. It's Courtney Laws' 100th game, 100th cap. He's captain. The players should have been desperate to show desire and energy and we just kick the ball away fucking kick it in 22 hopefully it gets a try and people came back at me and went well we did we got a try from a chip no no that was back from near the 10 meter line so we we're dull really dull for 70 minutes discipline was poor actually you mentioned marcus smith he's the only one that looked passionate about playing for england and sometimes that spills over into too much in some people's eyes but when he came on that looked like a, a willingness to up the tempo, up the pace. But we're playing in, it looked like a game from the, when we've got the ball, from the 90s that was really slow, cumbersome. Boys didn't look fit enough to play at a tempo or an energy that all the other teams seemed to be doing. And yeah, the weather played a, a bit of a factor. But I, I don't know what we've been doing for eight weeks because we're not, we don't look fit. We don't look sharp. We can't catch. I'm hugely frustrated, as every England fan is. It's very difficult to see any positives. The coaching team, and I, I tweeted about it, about a million and a half quid it cost to probably sack Eddie Jones. That's about half a million quid, which I think was the right thing. But then you've got, you spent a million quid getting Steve Borthwick, who's had, what's he had, two and a half years coaching head coaching experience. Kevin Sinfield, and we love Kev Sinfield, an unbelievable human being. Our defence is shocking at the minute. And he's had two years, two and a half years maybe of rugby union coaching experience and Richard Wigglesworth and Wiggy's a mate of mine and he's running the attack. Well, where is it? You know, he's only had a few years of coaching experience. So you look at Bill Sweeney who got a pay rise while all that was going on. I'm I'm, I'm just amazed at what bad shape England rugby's in from the top. And then you go layer upon layer. You talk about the premiership clubs that have gone. You talk about the differences between the the grassroots game and what the RFU did. And the game in England, and I hate to be so negative, it's woeful. Genuinely, I wanted to see it differently and be positive about what England could do. I obviously know a lot of the lads in that team as well. Ellis Genge, who for me, in his pomp, was in the top three to five loose heads in his position in the world with his power, the way that he carried. We've bigged up Theo Dan, uh, that he could be a bolter coming into the World Cup. Well, he has been. Dan Cole as well. We've had our ups and downs with Coley. I played with Coley. You know, Maro Toji. We know about Maro. Ollie Chesham. Where is Maro? Well, I, this is what I mean. I just don't know. He's not been the same since he had this illness or whatever came out that said he wasn't feeling well. He's just not the same player. He isn't. like. And as harsh as that sounds, and if he picks up on this or if people see that unfortunately yes we have to give our opinion on it you've asked me and he's nowhere near he's nowhere near where he was before and then you can go down the list of that like Ben Earl I thought played okay again Courtney Laws 100 caps how fit is he he's always holding his neck is he fully conditioned is his body okay and then you look into the mix as well like George Ford great deputant for Owen Farrell when he's at when he's injured you've questioned whether or not his test match quality you know would it have happened if Faz was in there I don't really know Manu Tuolangi like was just non-existent when he plays normally when he's got the bit between the teeth he's unstoppable you know Freddie Stewart we've said one of the best 15s in the world so you know ultimately when you look at it you can't 
do anything but state the obvious. And I've tried to be positive about it. I think it's important for the World Cup that you've got a good England team. Yes, there's going to be stories and narratives around different teams, whatever. And this is all about Fiji and we will get onto them in a minute. You know, these lads are paid 20, 25 grand a game. And when I said it's a sh- that Fiji have shaken the rugby world, not that people didn't see this coming. We didn't think it was coming. So if you would have said, right, put a bet on, Put your house on it. Who's going to win? You've got to choose one team. You would have said England. You would have said England before the game. You would have said Fiji are much better. Power athletes. You look at their team. They'll give it a go. But this is England at home. They're not playing very well. They need a spark. It would have been against Fiji. They would have scrubbed them off the park. They would have mauled them off the park. They would have been too physical for them. And they weren't. Like Fiji looked completely comfortable in that game. And when I say that it shocked the rugby world... I was texting Simon Rao-Louis, friend of the show, who's general manager, but he's coaching the team now as well. And naturally, just say congratulations. And I wanted to be a bit nosy. And I suppose it was a personal thing that I asked. I said, how much have the lads paid for that game, for that test match at the weekend? Because again, this is sport, right? It's, It's entertainment and the lads are paid. It's professional. They're paid to play. The Fijians didn't get paid. They didn't get paid for that game. They get an nominal... And I won't share what the number is. They're getting a nominal daily allowance to play in that game. So when I say Fiji have shot the rugby world, you're up against lads. And yes, there's players in the Fiji team that we know that you, you've got a million pound player in Semi Randra. But I'm just talking about a snapshot of that. These lads are paid 20 grand a game. It could be more. I don't know what it is now. It might have changed. It used to be 25 grand. It, it's a bit less because it's wrapped up in a World Cup package, okay. but it's still a hell of a lot of cash. Exactly. So it's a lot of money, whatever they get paid. So even if it's 10 grand a game, all right? And that's the output that you see. And you have to call it how it is. Like This is all about Fiji. They've shaken the rugby world because they're going into a World Cup now in the world rankings ahead of England. Like, as in, if that's not shaking things up, we're talking about a team that were in the final of the World Cup four years ago at home. So people are saying, oh, it's not shaking. I saw it coming. I saw this. Well, why is it fucking trending all over? Why is everyone talking about it all over the world if it hasn't shaken the rugby world? So for me, it's all about Fiji. Love the way they play. They're an absolute horror to play against. The power. Look at Semi sitting down, Max Malins. Like, there ain't much Max can do. He just... He tried, he tried his best. He put his head him. down. You know, he could go high, but you're not allowed to go high. I'd have run out the well, way. Well, this is what I mean. Take the dummy. High, low, silver lining. Exactly. Just hit the deck. You fainted. Something happened. You passed out. Hey, <laughs> Chaya, you're going off. So, yes. I, and this is what I mean. I don't know whether that result is going to make it more difficult for Fiji because now you are looking at that game first up if you're Wales thinking we need to be at the level of playing a New Zealand, playing a South Africa, that kind of emotional state that you get to when you're playing the very biggest teams of France in the world to beat Fiji. You need to be physically, mentally, you're not going to scrum them off the park now. Their line out's going to be a lot better but what are this Fiji team? There's a, there's a saying, right, in UFC and boxing, where if you become a champion, a world champion, in your next fight, because that doubt is no longer there, you're 20% better because you know how good you really are. And that's the thing with Fiji. I'm looking at that. We've seen them on the seventh circuit. We always said, we spoke about on here, if they click, they are going to be one of the, well, they've got the best athletes. That's for sure. They have got the best rugby athletes walking the planet, bar none. Yeah, yes, Samoan, Tongans, absolutely. But Fijians with the speed, the power, the ball skills that they've got, if they can put it all together with a scrub and a line out, 
they are, well, it shows you with the world rankings, they're now above England. And that wasn't a fluke at the weekend, albeit we are shocked in a way. We've got to name check some of the players. Taggy at tighter prop, and you, you talked about it. If you, you can get parity or you can get some sort of balance there at scrum time, he ain't moving for anyone, is he, in the scrum? He was outstanding. I love how you went with Taggy first. So you're going the easy names. You're leaving me. You're leaving me with the big names. <laughs> You've got to start at the top, haven't you? So start in the front row. Yeah, Caleb Munts at 10. You know, there was a bit of a hysteria in some parts around Ben Volavola not getting picked and missing out on the squad. But Munts at 10 just ran the game really well. I think Lamani at 9 caused him a bit of trouble and he got hooked off early in the second half. Lamani looks great at nine in broken play, but in terms of game management, probably not his strongest kind of suit at nine. But months at 10, goal kicking, you know, top tier goal kicking, that is, that's world class in terms of how he operated. Game management, playing in the rain. When you've got Fijians that just want to go, hey, yeah, bro, give me the ball, yep, yeah, offload, yeah, yeah, cuz, <laughs> you know, how they are. He's got to manage all that expectation of semi just giving the eyebrows and then, you know, also have a plan around game management. You want to go with a big name? You go with a big name. Go with Rafu Tawamanda and Naitha Levu. Yeah, Naitha Levu. Naitha Levu. Naitha Levu. That's what I said. I got that one. You talk about Rafu Tawamanda on the wing. He starts off, he's had a shocker. Johnny May gets the fend out in his chest, which looked like a really easy try. And I'm like, hey, this is going to be good for England. Like maybe the Fijians aren't all the way up for it. He ends up getting man of the match. He stepped and rinsed Johnny May back, didn't he, for his try. And they just looked world-class in everything they do. They're offloading game in the wet. We know how good it is. And I'm thinking when the rain comes down, this is now England's to take control. But you forget, there was a video posted ages ago, wasn't there, about Fijians training in a monsoon and just loving it, offloading everywhere still. So the weather didn't suit England. It actually made England go into their shell even further, if that is possible. And credit to Fiji. Is this the weekend you think that showed that the gap between the so-called tier two nations and the established superpowers is closed? Yes, I'm going to say it. I think there's three tiers because you saw South Africa, how great they were. France on a different planet. Ireland, okay, it was a bit of a mixed performance and it was a few change-up players, but stand up and watch Samoa, stand up and watch Fiji, Georgia in the first half against Scotland and Scotland went to town on them in the second half. Don't get me wrong, but the gap has certainly closed and that's what's going to make this the most exciting World Cup. And the gap has grown massively between South Africa and New Zealand as well, eh, Andy Rowe? But just on that as well, I think you look at Tanalaya Tupo's comments after the, the French game, where I actually thought Australia did all right, to be fair. Uh, I could see what they were trying to do, but he said that they're holding back for the World Cup. Scotland as well in the first half against Georgia, they go 6-0 down. All Borthwick keeps talking about is Argentina first game. Now, I've played in these World Cup warm-up matches. I'm not saying that you are holding back. But I can tell you now, you are not all guns blazing like South Africa and New Zealand were on Friday neat. You're just not, as in people might hate to hear that. And it shows you the gap now if you are slightly off in terms of the development of your Samoas. We saw that against Ireland. That's Ireland, right? That's the number one team in the world and there's four points in it. So I think there is an element of that. I'm with Borthwick on the fact that we'll be judging these teams on the World Cup and these games will be long forgotten. Sorry, Fiji, it maybe won't be. But it is hard, isn't it? Like I have, I've played in these games before. It is, they are tough to get yourself up for, especially if you're up against a Georgia, who every single game is the biggest game of their lives. Fiji, the same. Samoa, the same. Do you know what I mean? Like they, it is, it is a different feel for these teams than it will be for 
the teams that are perceived to go into the semis and the finals or they think that that's the expectation. But you can only judge it on what you see as well, James. Exactly. And look at you, Borthwick's best mate because he got you to Saracens. But I'm not. I, I think it, I think he's like a rabbit in the headlights. When I see him, you see after the press conference, he's completely gone to his shell. And then they go to Courtney and it's like, you, you've got to give something. You have to give the fans something to follow. Something. Like, if that was me, I'd be flipping tables. Like, look at John Fury at the press conference. <laughs> you big dosser! Yeah, the fight's going to be absolutely shy. That's why. So he's like, fuck this. Let's start flipping tables. Bring people on the journey. <laughs> well, maybe we can get some tables along next week for our sold-out live show in London with Hoggy. The guys from Lovell will also be there showing off all their World Cup kits. And they're offering all our listeners 15% off all kit with the code RugbyPod15 at levelrugby.co.uk. So maybe pick up a slick Fijian jersey before they're all sold out, Goody. On that, though, what I want to say, I know you've gone to Goody on that. I feel like Sia Khaleesi has done levels in the eye here. I saw an interview with Sia Khaleesi last week where he said he only feels like to wear a jersey or he felt that you had to earn it. So I feel as if me or Goody <laughs> walking around in a Fiji jersey and this is me speaking for you goody but i'm sure you'll be happy for me to do that we were the most unfijian like players you've ever seen so for us to be knocking about in a jersey i had an offload yeah but that's because you didn't want the ball you weren't offloading to score a try you were like i don't want the fucking ball sticking with the theme of pacific island legions samoa played all right against ireland didn't they how impressed were you with them hard one to judge actually from an irish perspective because they're so settled and it wasn't clearly their first string they started well you know Crowley puts the crossfield kick into return of the Mac he didn't want the contact I'm joking unselfishly plays the ball inside and it looked a bit easy the rain was coming down but again Samoa bro they have some players you know Sopawanga at 10 he's got a hell of a lot of experience McFarland back from injury he's a game changer because of the line out for them unreal yeah, we've played with Samoans. We watch them in the Premiership. We commentate on them and talk about them on here about their skill set. And very similar to the Fijian sort of storyline that we've spoken about, this Samoa team, and geez, they're in England's group. I hate to say this, that could be, and I joked a few weeks back on air about Scotland might not qualify for the next World Cup by right because you finish third in your group, you qualify for the next World Cup. I'm thinking that could be England now. Imagine we go Argentina loss. Japan loss, we, we scrape past Chile and then we've got Samoa to qualify for the next World Cup automatically. Samoa are a good side. Obviously, there's been the influx of players that have played for different countries, previous World Cups and previous internationals. Again, very similar to Fiji. They get their set piece sorted. They've got a game manager in Sopawanga who we know does blow hot and cold, but also has test match experience. And then they've got other threats all over the park as well. So they took it to Ireland, really unlucky. I think Ireland... When you lose Kean Healy to injury in the last game and everyone saw the scrum got annihilated and it gets collapsed and then he's trying to put his foot down and his knee and all this stuff and he ends up hobbling off. I think a lot of players look at that and think, do you fancy getting bashed by Samoan a couple of days before Faz announces his squad? I don't know. Tough one. Ireland will be a hell of a lot better, but Samoa look a lot better than maybe anyone outside of their camp thought they could do. Yeah, and that's what Andy Farrell knows, right? He ain't stupid. He's played the game, recently retired in the last few years, knows the crack. You're playing Samoa in Bayonne. It's pissing it down. 
They're as fully loaded as, as they've ever been. They beat Tonga a few weeks ago. Everyone's talking about Tonga in Scotland's pool, like Samoa beat them. Like Goody said, you've got ex-All Blacks in there. You've got players like Fritzley, absolute beasts. I imagine he knew his squad already, Andy Farrell. And it was like, lads, he wouldn't have said it because you don't want to devalue the jersey. That, for me, would have been a get-through game. As in, get through what you need to get through, damage limitation, and unfortunately, how bad for Keane Healy. That's a nasty one either way. What a shame. It's really bad. But you got going through that Samoa pack and name-checking some of them as well. Paul Allo O'Meal in the front row has played a lot in the top 14. You know, Chris Vui, we all know him and how good he can be. Theo McFarlane in the second row. That's a proper combination that when you talk about athletes and line-out presence. Fritz Lee at seven. Lua Tua at eight. Lua Tua's how many caps he got for the All Blacks? He's won a World Cup, hasn't he? Yeah, 2015. Yeah, Sopawanga at 10. Yeah, Suteni at 13. I was on the piss with his brother in Dublin at the Champions Cup final. Great bloke, great player. He got a good short kicking game. You know, he's playing at the European Champions, La Rochelle, at the top end of European rugby, top 14, class operator. So they have, you know, a lot of threats and they're going to cause, well, England especially come game four, but Argentina and Japan before that, they'll be looking at it going, geez, boys, we can qualify for a quarterfinal because they have the talent without a shadow of a doubt. And you put all the components of the game together, they're going to be dangerous like Fiji. And it shows that gap has closed massively. And it is a big tick in the box to world rugby for kind of changing the eligibility laws to allow top quality players to, you know, play for their home country, which I think has been brilliant. And it's only going to make this World Cup better. Even on the bench, Goody, they've got Jordan Taufua, who was at Leicester, who's been carving up for Leon. Played for the All Blacks. Of course he played for the All Blacks, yes, he did. Christian Leofanu, who, as we know, played for Australia and was poorly, and now he's back. Awesome to see. Mike and Al Alatoa plays for Leinster regularly. If he's not starting, he's on the bench. Yeah, Samoa, good luck, England. Yeah, does, does that change the way that England approach that game? Because usually in a World Cup, if you think Samoa and England game, no disrespect to Samoa, but... England uh, may be giving a few people a run in that game that maybe don't get a run in maybe a quarterfinal or a semifinal. Well, we're just focusing on Argentina as, you know, first game of the group. Uh, Samoa is our last game, so it all depends what happens in between then. But, um, you know, very excited to play Argentina. This group are tight. We eat together at dinner time, which is, you know, I, I see it in their eyes at dinner. They're all friends. I've played in England teams and coached teams before that, you know, that there's there's groups that go off here and there, and but England are tight. Fucking smash them! It's England's fourth game in the group, so we'll worry about that if we get there, how we get there, and what it looks like when we get there. What did you guys make of South Africa's performance then, lads? Unreal. Best they could ever play, according to Jeff Wilson. I guess a 14-man All Blacks team. I, I think the thing is with... Jet-lagged. Well, both teams would be a bit jet-lagged. Obviously, New Zealand more so than South Africa. But I don't know. It's one of them where... And Ian Foster said no one's talking about the All Blacks now. And the week before, I thought All Blacks were the favourites. Not the favourites, but I had them as the team in which I picked. Because I've bigged up South Africa. They beat Wales. They look very physical. But it wasn't Wales's strongest team. But I just think collectively across the board, South Africa just look prime now. The game plan that they've got, the physicality, they were sensational. And it's hard to talk about the All Blacks, isn't it? Because they went down to 14 men. 38 minutes into that first half, Scott Barrett gets sent off for a second yellow card. I just think South Africa look 
unbelievable at the minute. Physical, offloading, players that we haven't spoke about, the household names like Caden Moody again was absolutely sensational. That try that he scored that was disallowed. The kicking game, the offloading, unreal. Absolutely amazing. Like we were talking about RG Snyman last week. John Klein this week was ridiculously good. So I just think South Africa know what they're doing around World Cups. They've got players in the team that are experienced, the way that they're coached. But it comes down to the pool that they're in. And again, I know we're not talking about that. We're talking solely about that game. They absolutely blitzed New Zealand off the park. You know, New Zealand went down to two yellow cards and made them work to score the try. I can think of one game of the All Blacks where it looked not similar, but where they got blitzed off the park. And that was against England in the... Semi-final. Come on, Jim. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Is it panic stations for New Zealand? I don't know, but all about South Africa. And Jim mentioned it there. They know what they're doing. They play to their strengths. Their strengths are bringing seven absolute monsters off the bench in the forward pack. A 7-1 split. Never seen it before in my life. Have you? No, I haven't. And it was a bit by design because Willie LaRue had a back spasm. So Quagga Smith comes onto the bench. But poor Peter Steph de Toy. I know he got bin, but he had to go 70 minutes. All the other lads are having a breather on the side. Where's he been? Like you think last World Cup? Getting bigger. Getting bigger, getting faster. His cover tackle. Just my goodness me. I'm all over South Africa at the minute. They know how to play at World Cups, right? So the three teams that know how what their identity is. South Africa definitely won. France definitely another, and Ireland a third. So they all they're all comfy in their own skin. South Africa, and I said it a few weeks ago, it is the hardest job probably for Razzie and Ninaba to pick that squad and understand what is their gun fifteen. You know, Vilemsa plays at fullback. No one's really been talking about him as a first choice. He gets man of the match, and I think they'll still start with Vili Larue, but. The options, Kane and Moody in at 13. Everyone's talking about Lacanio Am being missing and injured for the World Cup. He's come in. Esther Hazen at 12. Was unreal. Has been in no one's thoughts around starting for the Springboks off the charts. You've got Damon Dialande. So in every position, they've got players that are competing and world-class players. You know, and you empty that bench. Talda scrum that as well. And I know they were down to 14 men, 13 for some parts of it, but that scrum power and World Cups are won on understanding your identity, set piece, kicking. Yes, you're going to play to edges and all that stuff, but the fundamentals of the game don't change. Defence and brutality and the Springboks have it all. And just a question for you. You didn't come back to me on Twitter, Jim. Are you still saying Scotland are going to beat South Africa? I will keep banging the drum and people are coming at me. You know, because the interview I did with John Barkley as well, like the feed obviously pops up on people's feeds at different times, us speaking about it at different times. It's the momentum's gathering. People are going mad. What I will say, I'm a Scotland fan, so I'm going to keep putting the pressure. I mean, this could be the worst thing that ever happened. Like it could be (laughs) 50, 60 points in favour of South Africa because of what I've said. It's meant to be the reverse It's meant to be like, I'm supporting my team, putting pressure on South Africa. But again, it goes back to it. South Africa are current world champions. They have got deep-rooted history and understanding at World Cups. They are well-coached. They've got world-class players. They've got absolute monsters. They've got players that can score all over the place. So really, they should win. I'm just putting the pressure on them. But they they look the best team, I would say, out of any team in the world right now. South Africa look the best team. 
Well, we can have a chat now with a man who's going to be key to the All Blacks' hopes at the upcoming World Cup. And we're going to keep it Kiwi to Kiwi, and Jim and Goody are going to sit this one out. All Black Centurion Aaron Smith joins us. How does it feel to have the Centurion name in front of your name now? Oh, I think it's the first time I've heard it been said, to be honest, mate. But um, no, it's, it's obviously uh, still hits you pretty hard and uh, something very special. Um, I think as you see boys play 50 games and you see guys from other countries get 100 games, you understand how much and how long you have to be in the game and disciplined and dedicated to reach 100 tests. And, oh, it's just very special and kind of feels like a bit of a blur. Um, heading into my last year, you kind of go, you know, where did it go? Um, I've just been riding a wave and and loving every minute. And, you know, it's it's an amazing what we get to do. And as a professional athlete, you know, to do something you love and be paid for it is, is, is you know, I do it for free as well, you know. So it's a true dream come true. And I think all of the men in rugby and women getting paid to play, it's very special and it's a huge honour. Mate, it is a dream come true. I think I was probably, oh, I don't want to embarrass myself. I was probably about 19 when I took the posters off the wall and realised that it wasn't going to come true. <laughs> I think I uh, took them down a lot younger. I kind of, I was hard out into skateboarding in my sort of high school years. So, but yeah, no, you just, you always had that dream and especially probably a big New Zealand thing and is, you know, every sort of June onwards was, you know, rugby, all black calendar, you know, and whether it was watching games or getting up early to watch them overseas. Who were the posters on your wall? Graham Bashup, I'm guessing? Um, oh, I grew up in Manawatu, which is in the Hurricanes region, and Tana Umanga, Jonah Lomu, Christian Cullen played for them, and you couldn't go past them. And, you know, Tana and Kali, and then Nonu came along sort of midway through high school. But, yeah, those guys were rock stars, and well, they were pretty styly too, you know, Jonah with the fringe and, Tana with the dreads yeah, yeah. and Cully was just mean. So when I was growing up, I, I was sort of like an outside back back then when I was small and fast. And then everyone grew up and I got slow and short. <laughs> I hate that when you start growing out of position. You mentioned how it, like, it goes past in a blink of an eye. And it's so true. I remember the press conference where you were being introduced as the hairdresser from Manawatu. And I think Steve Hansen was talking about how, like, you were saying how shy you were, and he was saying how chirpy you were. Like, going into the All Blacks environment back then for you, just as the hairdresser from Manawatu, I know you're so much more than that at that time, but that's how it was painted by the media. Mate, it must have been crazy going into the All Blacks environment at that age. Yeah, I think I was quite lucky. I, I did hairdressing for a couple of years out of school, and I was playing for, I had my 20s year, my second year out of school. And I made New Zealand 20s, which was the first sort of serious team I'd made, really. I didn't make anything at school sort of noteworthy. And then coming out of school playing club rugby, then progressing into academy and was given a chance to trial for the under-20s and took my opportunity and went to a World Cup. And I had sort of six months preparing for that World Cup in the June in 2008. And I just loved it, and it gave me a taste of sort of professional footy. And then I had an injury that year, but I was quite small, so it kind of gave me a chance to kind of strengthen my body up. But, you know, you just get a little bit lucky on timing, the way rugby was going. It was looking to kind of speed up, kind of halfback was coming to a position of an opportunity to change that kind of physique of a halfback, and it's something I think I got lucky with was – 
some coaches were saw that that type of game could suit playing at speed, moving the ball. And I was very lucky with Dave Rennie at under 20s to give me an opportunity. And then he was my one or two coach as well at club level. And But it still took me a couple of years to crack Super Rugby. When I made Super Rugby, it really it started happening pretty quick. But I had my sort of stewardship under Jimmy Cowan for a year in 2011, which was a World Cup year. And I learned so much and just sort of took it all in. And then in 2012, was able to build some consistency and performance, start games, and then a new coaching staff, as you said, gave a cheeky Māori boy from fielding a, an opportunity. And I was scared, excited, but when you're young, you kind of don't really get how much pressure it is and how big it is till it kind of happens. And the first All Black, my first All Blacks year, I was just sort of week to week living it up, training, hanging out with guys I grew up idolising. Like Dan Carter was my roomie sometimes and Ma Nonu and Sonny Bill Williams and Richie McCaw, you know, Kevin Mialami, all these legends of our game. I was playing with them and I was just getting up every day trying to be the best I could be and learn and, and grow. And, you know, they'd won the World Cup the year before and I was just riding the wave. And then as you progress through your all-black career, your role changes within the team, but I think when you're young and a little bit naive, you kind of just, if you do what they say, if you watch how they prepare, if you watch what they do to get the performances, and I wouldn't say I was perfect, but you definitely get those, you see why they do that and they got that on Saturday, you know, like they went to bed early, they were stretching a lot, they were watching the footages and they were so diligent with their skills and if you come into a sort of that test arena it's not that you can't play. It's actually all the stuff, the little things around your body, your fitness levels, and your mental capacity to handle pressure shows up. Because in Test rugby, if there's a little crack, it, it, it pops, you know, and and um, the water will always find the crack. Looking at when you're coming into that environment, and there's those big names like obviously McCaw's driving the standards, but like who are the scary ones I mean I don't know if scary is the right word but who are the guys you're like shit I've got to be making sure I dot every I and cross every T here otherwise they're going to pull me up there's the captain obviously but then in our team there's like a back seat which is sort of run the standards of the team so curfews and dress and stuff like that and, and coaches and in the All Blacks it's high standards across the board so you're expected to kind of pull each other up on anything if you're wearing the wrong stuff, if you're late to something. Do you still get pulled up now? Oh, I got pulled up for a beanie the other day. Yeah, I had an Adidas beanie, but it wasn't branded or like All Blacks on it. So, yeah, but I'm backseat now. So I kind of, if I see anything, I hit it pretty quickly. But we're not trying to catch out. We're trying to help out, you know. So we're trying to guide, especially young guys. They, there's some things you can wear and can't wear and timings and, and having your book with you all the time. It's not a fine system or a tell-off. It's a, you know, hey, mate, yeah, you got to change that or do that. Or, And when I was coming in, it was definitely like the Kevin Mialamus or the all the leaders, really, that kind of senior group. We, we all know who we were when I first came in with. But they're there to help you, as I said. It ain't a telling off. It's a try this next time or make sure you wear that or, you know. Give us a rundown of like the setup there because you guys are in camp in Germany at the Adidas headquarters, I want to say. Well, we're in Herzo, which is just out of Nuremberg in Germany, and it's Adidas HQ, I think, where they do a lot of the designs and 
and come up with all the ideas for all their footwear and clothing and that. And we're staying at a place called Homeground, which is eight years ago they built it for the German soccer team. And to be honest, it's it's amazing. And uh, it's like IKEA. Well, not huts in the forest, but chalets in a forest. And it's very nice. And, you know, we've got everything we need to kind of prepare. We're, we bike to training, which is something Kiwis don't do. You know, usually we bus everywhere. So we bike to the training ground, bike to the gym. It's very cool. And as a sports person, it's like, it is a little bit like heaven. There's, you know, the Germans are in their um, way of designing things. Like, yeah, it is pretty insane about how cool some of these, the buildings are and the facilities. We were based now. It's, it's, it's got everything. You can't really complain. And it's a good week's prep for us just before we get into the real deal of the World Cup. Yeah, let's talk about the World Cup because... You're heading into, is this your third? Yes. How's this one feel in comparison to the other ones? Like I said, around your, your riders and in, in, in your test career or rugby life, going into my first World Cup, I was very much just young, trying to you know be the best I could be. But I, I was very aware I was in a very good team of players that were taking a lot of the pressure off us by you know, running the team and stuff. And I think obviously eight or nine of them had won the World Cup before that or been to two or three before it. So we had a very experienced leadership group who had been through a lot, wins and losses. And in the big moments and the big situations in that World Cup, they knew what to say or what to do or how to get momentum back. And as a young guy, you kind of, you're always guided off your leaders and how they react and what's next or and then going into Japan, I think it was a bit of a changing of the guard and sort of been in the team about eight years and was a leader, you know, a different experience of going in. I was really excited about it and you can't get out of the way of just one game, but one game really cost us and we didn't show up. And to be honest, like I thought, you know, two World Cups was going to be my kind of thing and then I had I had a baby just before that last World Cup, and it was my boy's fourth birthday yesterday, Luca boy. Um, you know, it's one of those things that was like, oh, that's right. Before the last World Cup, I had all that going on. But I learned a lot around, you know, in the big games, you know, we need to learn from that last World Cup. And then obviously in the last two years, you know, we haven't had the performances as most consistent as we'd liked. Mm. And heading into this year, it's been a real positive step around around all of that our game growing putting together you know combinations that um, we can trust and there's one thing that's been nice is just trying to enjoy day to day high performance sport isn't fair and injuries happen and things happen that you can't control but if you let all that worry or doubt or you won't be given at 100% and I've always been like that given it 100% and um, see where the cards lie and but a World Cup in France is very special and, yeah, I just can't wait to get there and start it. Yeah, it's been a good year this year and then the slip up at Twickenham. Why don't you just come out and say, fuck, we were jet lagged, we were tired. We were tired going into that game. Oh, no, we were we were humming, mate. And um, we put ourselves under pressure early and couldn't catch the momentum back. Mm. And when, when we had our chances to sort of counter, we'd turn the ball over again or we'd give away a penalty and we just couldn't stack enough moments and... South Africa are really up for it, and you can't deny that. And we have to really just take that for what it was. There is a lot of positives in that game, and people probably won't see it, but as a team, we know we were off, and we showed a lot of guts and bravery in that first 15, 20 minutes. But we also put ourselves in pressure of cards, 
and they dictate the swing of game so much. But by no means are we blaming the travel or anything for how we played. We have no excuse around our sleep, recovery. We get everything we need to perform on a Saturday. And well, we went to Argentina six days before and played really well. So there's no excuse. We did that two months ago. So no, nah, South Africa were the better team on the night. Well, what were the big learnings that people don't really see? Oh, I can't give away everything, mate. We have to show France that. No, true. Good answer. Good answer. Because <laughs> you're up against DuPont. Like, Jesus, it doesn't get much harder than that. Man, the guy's changed the game for a halfback anyway and, and the way he's playing rugby at the moment. And, you know, two-time World Player of the Year and what he's done at club level and at international, you know, full credit to him, you know. So a lot of praise there. But funny with halfbacks, you don't get really much head-to-head action, like running into each other or stuff like that. But... I think the challenge as a nine is how you get your team around the field and how you control pace. And we know and doing our homework at the moment on um, the French is he dictates a lot of their play. So, you know, we have to be very aware of what he does. But he's in a very good team as well. So it's obviously he's an amazing talent and player, but he's got some amazing athletes and just some great players, loose forwards, front rowers. They've got a goal kicker who doesn't miss. You know, all these things that make a great test team and their defense is really solid as well. So, you know, these are the games as a as an athlete you want. You want the big game. You want the pressure. You want a full stadium of French people going mad. And after we lost to England last year, I was building in my mind of going to a third World Cup, being in Paris at the Stade de France, playing France. That's been my driver all year. And uh, we're nearly there. And I hope I get that opportunity. Oh, I'm getting excited. I've watched the documentary on NZR Plus. It's quite spine-tingling to hear you talk about realising that every game could be the last time you take off the all-black jersey. Can you just talk us through like that thought process and you know the enormity of it? I talked to a couple of senior all-blacks who have done it already, like finished up, and they say don't dwell. And literally, I've had a real good focus on just like enjoying the day and what's ahead of me in the day. I'm in Germany right now, Adidas heaven, training, playing, preparing for the All Blacks to play France. Like That's where my mind's at at the moment, and I'll get reflective later. I would hate to look back and have regrets that I was dwelling or getting emotional or I know it's coming to an end, and that's good. The best thing I love about it is I control you know, my destiny and, you know, I, I walk out on my terms and if something happens or whatever, I can live with that because I know for the last 12 years I've given everything I can for this jersey and I don't have anything to be bitter about. Uh, this this team, this, this jersey, playing for my country to represent my family, uh, it's given me everything and, you know, now I'm a father in that. It's given me an opportunity to provide for my family and I'm just a very blessed man got given certain talents and I've just tried to maximise every opportunity and the All Blacks, our environment, our teams give you every opportunity to be the best person you can be. Plus you're playing with some of the best players as well and I love nothing more than being inspired by my teammates to want to be better every day and that's always my mindset is how can I get a little bit better today? Yeah, I've still got that fire to do that. My plan is to try and walk away with no regrets of I didn't work or give it everything I had and I'm just trying to give everything I can for the day, you know, finish today strong, and then tomorrow will happen. Before I let you go, I want to talk to you about the haka. I've never seen you guys practice the haka. 
but then I saw it on the documentary. Like, how does that all work? Who faces off to who, and like, what what does that process look like? And you're running the show, right? Oh, and Derek Derek Ladali, the oh Sir Derek Ladali is a, a man with huge Maori tongue in New Zealand and mana, and he came up with Kapo Pango the Haka. And um, he's actually with us in camp at the moment, and he means a lot to New Zealand and our team. He's got a lot of wisdom, and we use him definitely around our culture and what makes us All Blacks, and especially around the haka and sort of waiatas and songs. Well, we do, we practice it, obviously, and we try to grow more understanding around it, what the words mean, what does certain actions mean. And, you know, if you can't do a haka, hard against your mate, one of your best mates, you ain't going to do it hard against um, an opposing team. So we've tried to really power up the haka, and that's sort of something I've tried to lead this year around powering up Kapo Pango because that is the All Blacks haka. Kamate is kind of a a statement haka in New Zealand that people will do a lot, whether it's for a, a tangi or a birthday or a celebration of someone or a huge milestone where Kapo Pango is only done by the All Blacks, and that's our haka. So something I'm trying to power up and sort of leave behind is teaching our young men and our team the meanings of it, the words, why the actions are. And and the main thing around the haka is it's our one time to be united as a team and show who we are. And, yeah, it's special, and we're very lucky to be able to do that in Test Arena. And it's been for a hundred plus years, and it's it's a big part of become becoming an All Black and being an All Black, and it represents our people and our country and our culture. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on what Kapa Opango means, what that haka means, and what the message is that you're giving as an All Black to the opposition and opposition fans? Well, the the words are very much special to us. So they're not anything out there or anything crazy. But all a haka is is it's laying down a challenge, really. We are here, we are united, and we are one in sync in this moment. And that's sort of all I'll say about Kapo Pung. <laughs> Mate, that's awesome. That's awesome. Now, definitely, like, always one of the highlights around the world. I mean, not just for a Kiwi to watch, but, you know, speaking to other internationals like Jim, Jim talks fondly about facing the facing the haka all the time. So best of luck for the World Cup, mate. Go all the way. Cheers, mate. Thank you so much. Scotland did all right, didn't they, Jim? All right. All right. We're, we're a 40-minute team. Were you nervous? No, I wasn't nervous because I know the makeup of the team and genuinely wasn't nervous going 6-0 down at halftime. All about Georgia. We spoke about Fiji. It was all about Georgia. The physicality in which they showed. I can't remember whether it was four years ago or two years ago. Anyway, the last time we played Georgia at home, we put 50 points on them. I think it was 48-0 or something like that. Someone can quote me wrong if it's not. But I think we were 48-0, 50 points when we said, oh, the Georgians are coming. But since we had Merab Sherikadze on, the skipper. Skips. Yeah, that gave them the gave them the boost, maybe. I thought Georgia looked brilliant. I thought they looked physical. The big thing around Georgia, what do we, we always talk about when Georgia? Scrum. Scrum. Wasn't there. There was no scrum. They had everything no. but the scrum. They had everything but the scrum. So they were physical. Sherikadze, I think he made 20-odd tackles. Uh, they looked joined up. Uh, loved the look of them. But you think about what Scotland have got, where we are right now, fifth in the world. We are a 40-minute team. We're struggling to put 80-minute performances together. But 
it shone through at the end. And I think that was probably the perfect test match for us because of the physicality, some slight similarities with Georgia and South Africa around the breakdown, some of the first up collisions, the set piece focus that we needed to have. I think we're in a good place, but I, I credit to Georgia. Again, the scoreline, I don't feel probably didn't reflect the game. It'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Because I know we said a few weeks ago about Finn in the change rooms at halftime when they were getting trounced by France's second team. And Finn was like, let's just go and have a bit of fun, chuck the ball around. What do you reckon he's saying at halftime against the Georgians? Is he like, get me a five, guys? Because they came out in the second half, didn't they, Scotland, and ripped them to pieces early on. And that set the tone for that, what looks like a very comfortable victory. But I suppose the big worry for Gregor and for Finn and for James McHamilton and for all the other Scots that aren't real Scots but are Scots is your first game against Africa, if you only play for 40 minutes, you ain't beating them, are you? No. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Scotland. It's got to be a worry. And you've got Ireland as well who in the group will... They're both two teams that pounce on any weaknesses and you know you struggle to come back against those sides anyone does when you've given them a big lead so Scotland I you know I'm, I love watching them play now generally do Finn with his offloads he's pumping an offload around the back still getting tackled still pumping third time he's gone around someone else's back imagine how many around the backs he can do he's got a reach around he's got everything he needs Scotland's biggest worry is they are fifth in the world they are one of the best teams to, to watch in attack and they look dangerous every time they've got the ball but Jim said it, they're a 40-minute team which doesn't win you a group stage and must be the biggest worry for Gregor Townsend because they can mix with any team at their best and at their peak and when they're on the front foot and when Finn is five guys up to the eyeballs. Sweets, what about the sweets he's eating when he comes off as well? I'm watching it going, Finn, lay off the sweets. No, give me the sweets is what I thought because I need some sweets in my life again. But that's got to be the worry, hasn't it, for Gregor because they look really good and you don't want to get too carried away about how good you do look because you look great. But it's the issue of not being able to do it for a, a full 80 when you're playing two of the three best teams in the world in your group to get out the group. That's got to be a worry. Yeah. And then the big debate around Scotland will be, I thought Carl Stain was brilliant again, but yeah, he was. Darcy Graham comes in on the wing. What does the makeup of the back row look like? I personally think the back row that started with Jamie Ritchie, Rory Dars, Jack Dempsey, six, seven and eight. Dempsey's class, isn't he? Oh, that's what I told you. Yeah. I told you. It took a while to get going internationally, but I watched him for Glasgow and I was like, this lad is power and physicality, which is all the things that Australia said he wasn't. Very good. <laughs> no, I, I'm buzzing for it. I, I genuinely am. And that's what I mean. Without stating the obvious, game one is what it's all about at the World Cup. It's got nothing to do with what's happened now. And that is me belittling this summer series that we've seen. It doesn't matter anything. It's all about the World Cup and the momentum gathered. And we've got the artist game first up, as we know, South Africa. Let's have yeah. Let's fucking have yeah. France Wallabies. I mean, what more can we say about the French side? Dupont just has the ball on a string like I don't know how much we can talk him up on here Jim's probably given the best analogy at times he's probably one of the greatest rugby players to ever walk the field in terms of what he does individually now people talk about greatness people talk about Dan Carter Richie McCall guys that have won you know back-to-back World Cups albeit Dan Carter got injured in the first one you know you talk about some of the legends of the game he is doing it week in week out and he's doing that a lot kicking off both feet, making breaks. He's got a five on two and he just thinks, fuck it, I'll just put a crossfield kick in off my wrong foot for a perfect kick to Peno in the corner. And the worrying thing for New Zealand, Andy Rowe, 
France looked amazing, but probably only looked like they're in third gear as well. Dante, I mean, probably the best, toughest, hardest blokes tackle at 12 in the world at the minute. And there are some decent 12s around. Their attack on the edge, their shape, you know, they're playing it out to a pod of forwards who are then flicking it out the back and all the runners around the corner. Damien Pinot was out of this world as a winger. His try that he creates for himself, but every time he touches the ball, he's making yards, he's looking dangerous. You know, he doesn't like he sweats or tries that hard either. And Jim said it last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago, Duan van der Merwe, best winger in the world. He's pretty good. Surely, Jim, you're thinking Damien Pinot is the best winger in the world right now. No, I know he is. He's 100% the best winger in the world right now. <laughs> Talua as well for the All Blacks. I'm bigging up my players. That's what I'm doing. I'm putting them in the spotlight. You're welcome. But I think Damien Penno for me, unbelievable. Worldy of a player. A joy to watch. I don't think, like, I agree with you. I don't think France are even out of third gear yet. I don't think they've shown their hand. And that is a worry. Imagine how good the opening game's going to be on Friday under the lights. So I think for me... Enjoyed watching France. I, I like watching Australia as well, I'll be honest. Vunivalu on the wing. I mentioned Nwonga Nitawase before. Under the high ball, them two. They've got a point of difference. And I think that there's a game plan there that can worry teams. But yeah, I mean, France, again, it's all on the World Cup, isn't it? I don't want to belittle what we've just seen now, even though I am. But yeah, France, brilliant to watch. Australia, enjoy watching them as well. Bring on the World Cup. Here we go. The thing is on Australia, yes, you know, they've had some brilliant patches, but I think teams mirror their head coach, right? So look at Scotland, their way they mirror a little bit about how Gregor played and his identity. England, under Steve Boring Borthwick, we're kind of mirroring his boringness and detail that, you know, we keep losing the ball and we don't know how to play. The Australians, Eddie's ill-disciplined, isn't he? Mate, give yourself an abacat. The discipline on the Australia team is what's holding them back as well. Dumb penalties... They are a team that they can put it together. They have some fantastic athletes and the ability to break teams down, but their discipline shocking. And that comes from the top, Eddie. So sort your discipline out, sort your team's discipline out, and then you might get to a semi-final. You've got more chance than England anyway. Oh dear, did I just say that? Right, should we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's. We're going to start off with Argentina. They hammered Spain 62 points to three to warm up for England. They've had a good camp. I know it's only Spain, but positive noises coming out of the Argentinian group. Ireland get mentioned the good this week. Not as impressive as usual, but the reason they get mentioned the good is they've set a new record of 13 wins in a row. Winning brings momentum, brings belief. The Irish are going to a World Cup as one of the favourites potentially. So 13 in a row for them. Outstanding. Jim's favourite player, best winger in the world. Duan van der Merwe gets a mention in the good. He is one of the best wingers in the world. How many good wingers are there though? Duan van der Merwe, 17 carries, 112 metres gained, 10 defenders beaten, five line breaks and two tries. I mean, they are some decent stats. Uh, he is class, Jim. So uh, he gets a massive shout out in the good. South Africa, of course they do. They get a mention in the good. They don't win it, which will surprise many because it was a complete performance really. And in the words of Jeff Wilson, the best they're ever going to play. They look awesome in destroying the All Blacks, time they run nicely. And they're probably favourites now to defend their World Cup title. But the good this week goes to Fiji and specifically Celestino Ravutamunda. Eight carries, 84 metres gained, eight defenders beaten, two try assists. He looks a world of a player. He might not even get in their first team when Tuas over comes back. Fiji, they're going to get the good. Biggest win in their history as a nation. Yes, they've won gold at the Olympics, but for their 15s team, 
It's the first time they've beaten England ever at Twickenham, supposedly the home of rugby where people don't really go and watch England anymore because of what we're putting out there. But Fiji, outstanding. They are now at their highest ever world ranking at seventh above England and they might get a few more big scalps at the World Cup. So the good this week goes to Fiji. Everyone involved with Fiji and all the islands, basically. So big shout out to them. The bad few bits of bad. Kean Healy's injury, we spoke about it earlier. Massive loss to them and really gutting for him to be out of the World Cup. Australia, get a mention in the bad as well. Five straight defeats under Eddie now. How are you? Your discipline shock him. Japan get a mention in the bad as well after another defeat. This time they got spanked 42-21 to Italy. The All Blacks... I can't give it to the this week. Can't give them the bad, Andy Rowe. I'm desperate to, but I'm just an honest man. So they get a mention in the bad, their biggest ever loss in their long history. Maybe that should get the bad, but I can't because the RFU are going to get the bad and England rugby. There might have been a rail strike, but the pricing and style of play mean the crowd and atmosphere just was nowhere near anything that we saw on Friday night. England's performance was woeful. It's our first ever defeat to a tier two nation at home as well. and things can get worse I've said they could only get better but they got worse last week so maybe they can only get better from now but the bad this week goes to the RFU to England Rugby to Steve Borthwick all the players let's pull it together lads let's pull it together and beat Argentina because we are in the doldrums right now and that is why you get the bad and then a few bits of ugly Scott Barrett gets a mention in the ugly this week and New Zealand discipline in general obviously a absolute cheat shot of a clear out he doesn't get a ban but it looked fairly nasty I couldn't see the shoulder to head where people were baying for blood, but it was a cheap shot. So he gets mentioned the ugly. But the ugly this week goes to the alleged positive drug tests for Elton Yankees and Reese Webb, and particularly the suggestion, and it is only a suggestion, so don't get legal on me, that the WRU might have been involved in the Reese Webb one. So a really ugly look for rugby. Drugs, performance enhancers, people are saying, oh yeah, but Welsh boys have always been on growth. No one knows that officially these are all allegations don't sue me because it's just an allegation but the ugly this week goes to Elton Yankees Reese Webb and the potential of probably long-term bans career-ending bans and the fact that people are using performance enhancing drugs in sport in rugby it's not good cheers goody well you may have heard we've partnered up with Asahi Superdrive for this World Cup and as part of this, we're looking for your beyond expected stories. These are great stories that celebrate the spirit of rugby. They could be anything from challenges, special moments, or memories that celebrate our game. We've had our first submission, and it's an incredible 50-year friendship between Kiwi James Ranger and a Japanese rugby legend, Yoshihiro Demi Sakata. They met when Sakata's Japanese rugby team beat the Junior All Blacks in New Zealand in 1968. And Sakata was staying with the Ranger family and they played backyard rugby in the garden. They stayed in touch over the years through handwritten letters and reunited at the Rugby World Cup in Japan in 2019 and are still in touch to this day. Unbelievable story. Yeah, fair play. That's absolutely class. Yeah, absolutely. Kampai, lads. If you've got a story, just send it in on socials or through our website and we'll read one out each week. Asahi are offering our listeners a chance to win a match day experience to this year's Rugby World Cup or merch for the best stories. So get sharing. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby Spot. Spot Spotted pod, 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 pod. (laughs) 